Alrighty then. Um, did we already pray? Why do I feel like we need to pray again? <laughs> it could be because I need help. But I know you already prayed for help, didn't you? You had to help, help that man, help him. Um, okay, well, I want to talk. Uh, one thing I was just, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit was talking to me about this morning. Uh, uh, during worship was hope. And I don't know if you needed it, but I liked it. Uh, but one thing that I was really feeling was uh, congruent with what he was putting on my heart for the message was just hope for America. Uh, that we don't need to despair and that we should not despair. Uh, we shouldn't be nervous. We shouldn't be despairing. Uh, and so I'm going to recap a few thoughts, if that's okay. I'm going to recap a few thoughts that, um, uh, that are Dwayneisms. Uh, and and you, can, you can buy into them or not. But uh, uh, I always, you know, this is a real risky place up here. Uh, some of you keep coming back. And that means I haven't, I've only partially offended you with my Dwayneisms. But um, uh, so it is a risky place. So I'm taking a risk this morning as I talk. Uh, if you, have you been to the blog this week? So we've posted about four blogs. Interestingly enough, as we've posted blogs about uh, sexual immorality and we've posted some blogs this week, some, some I think, some tasteful, balanced uh, good blogs. I think they've been good. I feel like the grace of God's been on me to write some of this stuff. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, the readership's been the highest we've ever had. So I saw this morning that uh, one of the uh, one of the blogs went out to 369 people. Another one, 429 people. So that's pretty cool. So uh, that was fun. Amen. So, but I want to talk a little bit about how we got to where we're at right now, and I want to try to encourage you uh, as well to continue to be God's kids, uh, God's catalyst of change. Amen? So, I think where we got where we're at right now in that uh, we're in a little bit of, of a crisis. Uh, I was reading uh, a bunch, and if I tried to read some of this stuff to you, uh, it would just be extremely boring, and most of you might start uh, sawing logs during the during the reading. But I was reading some material. Now, what I did is I went ahead and I posted a link to this on my Facebook, and I'll continue to do that a little bit so you can get into that Facebook link and read some of this stuff for yourselves. Um, the particular article that I was reading that I really enjoyed was off of the Heritage Foundation, and it was written by Mark David Hall, Ph.D. Uh, he's a Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University down in Oregon. Uh, he's the author or co-editor of eight books uh, uh, that are on uh, the founding of the nation, the founding fathers, and just, you know, all sorts of things about our heritage. Uh, so I do want to read a conclusion, a couple thoughts about uh, his conclusion of, uh, of America. But if you, read, if, you read some of, if you read some of his studies about, you know, how we started, we really, we, you know, it, it's clear from him and Peter Marshall and David Barton and just there's a host of writers 
that really have dug through, sifted through, uh, not just the Constitution or not just um, uh, the, the various obvious resources, but, uh, but the founders' uh, letters and diaries and speeches and statements. And just they've just sifted through all sorts of things trying to answer the question, uh, did, we, did we start with a Christian foundation? Was a, were the founders Christians? Were they, were they deists? Were they atheists? Were they Christians? What was the intent? Uh, what was the intent of the First Amendment? Uh, what we hear now is called, you know, separation of church and state. What was, what was the intent of the First Amendment uh, in the Bill of Rights? And so there's been lots of sifting through, and I encourage you to take some time to read some of this stuff. The links that I'm posting and, and, and getting out there, I encourage you to take some time to read through some of this because it's so, it's so important. The fact is, it seems like that when the, the colonists first came, it seems like, if anything, they were over-the-top legalistic. I'm, 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 comparing, uh, I'm comparing the colonists, you know, to our lifestyle today. Even what we would do today, I mean, they might, they might even have been beyond, you know, to hold public office uh, at any level. They were probably beyond the church requirements of the modern church to be a church member or a board member, or, you know, I mean, they were just over the top. Uh, I mean, you literally, you, 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 had to, you had to show Christianity in your blood somehow. I mean, the, you know, yeah, I mean, it was just amazing how deep it was uh, in Pennsylvania with the Quakers, uh, in, in, with all of the colonies, and all of the colonies had uh, established churches, and, um, and you literally, you had to be a card carrying Christian in the colonies. Uh, it, was, it, it was amazing how, how deep the impact of Christianity was up and down the whole eastern uh, seaboard. Uh, it was mind-boggling. Um, so, so if you look at that, you'll see that there's no doubt that Christianity was deeply uh, embedded in our roots. And I'm just going to leave it there. Um, so I want to, I want to fast forward to where, uh, where, uh, where a little bit about how we got to where we're at now as a church. Um, and I believe it comes out of Matthew chapter 24 is how we got to where we are now. Uh, in that, and I want to go there with you, Matthew chapter 24. Um, some of you have heard me rant on this before, and so I won't overdo the rant, um, and I'll be cautious in my rant. Um, but some of how we got to where we are today is... Uh, modern interpretations of the evangelical church on the times that we're living in and modern interpretation of the evangelical church on the rapture, on the tribulation period, uh, the rapture being the coming back of the Lord uh, and, and 
and how this has impacted us uh, has been very subtle in, in, in that many of us today in the church might not even be aware of the subtle or the subconscious impact that some of the evangelical theology that we've had has made upon the church. Uh, and so it's important to, to develop a little bit. Matthew 24, uh, and I, I don't want to linger on this too long, but it's going to take a couple minutes. You okay with that? And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up and to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many, and you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Now notice he's talking about the end of the age. He's not talking about the end of the world. The word here is is. Uh, is age in the Greek as well. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there shall be famine and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations of, uh, on account of me or my name. And at that time, many will fall away and deliver one another up and hate one another. By the way, uh, there can be repetitions of these kinds of of these kinds of um, situations, but he's talking specifically here about the end of the age, uh, and I say that because um, you know even now we could be hated, right? Uh, and even now uh, it could be that if hatred increases toward Christians, then some might give up their faith. Some might say, well, I'm not, I'm not in for that, right? So, but he's talking here about birth pangs toward the end of the age. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then shall the end come. Now, again, I want to, I want to emphasize to you that this is the end of the age. That's the question that he's answering. He's not answering the end of the world. He's answering the end of the age. Okay? You still with me? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. So now he's talking about a specific event that was going to take place that would be tied into the end of the age. He says, when you see what Daniel talked about, the abomination that causes desolation, standing in the holy place, this is the holy of holies. Okay. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down to get things that are out of the house, that are in the house. And let him who's in the field not turn back to get his cloak. 
But woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor shall ever be. And unless those days would be cut short, no life would be saved. For, but for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. And if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. In other words, don't run to some location where I have supposedly appeared. Get to the hills. Get out of town quickly because destruction is coming to Jerusalem. Now, Josephus, a modern-day journalist of that day, actually recorded these events and actually says it happened like this, that believers were warned and they actually left Jerusalem by the thousands and their lives were preserved because they got out of town. It actually happened. It was a crazy thing. So if anyone says that here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe them for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders who is to mislead if possible even the elect. Behold, I've told you this in advance. If therefore they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go there. Behold, if he's in the inner courts, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east to the west, even flashes from the east or flashes to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this coming is a coming of judgment. This coming is a coming of, of judgment. It is not a coming uh, that he's describing here that's the coming of the rapture or a coming to take them away. He's saying, get out of town. This is all going to happen. There's going to be birth pangs up until the end. And when the end comes, you're going to know it's the end because the abomination that causes desolation is going to be standing in the holy place. And when that happens, get out of town quickly. And don't believe anybody if they say, meet the Christ over in the wilderness or meet him in this room. No, you get out of town fast. I'm warning you now. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is consistent with the fall of Israel, the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of even the angelic watchers or the princes of Israel who watch over. And this is also consistent with a war in heaven wherein Satan was judged and cast down to the earth. So this ties into Revelation 12 as well. So he's saying everything's going to change. When this happens, everything is going to shift and change in the heavens and on the earth. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with the sky in great power and glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn this from the parable of the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you'll know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, even right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things shall come to pass or shall come shall take place. Now heaven and earth will, not pass, uh, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, when he said this generation, he didn't say this race. Some have said to make this fit into their eschatology, they've changed the word generation into race. 
And I'm spending a lot more time on this than I wanted to, but nonetheless, here we are. Um, so he's sad that this generation. So now fast forward today, what has happened is uh, the interpretation of many modern eschatology uh, teachers and scholars toward the beginning of our century, they believed that this was coming to pass in our generation. And they believed that that Israel becoming a nation, or Israel had to become a nation, for the abomination that causes desolation. So rather than looking to Daniel's day, uh, or looking to Daniel's prophecy, and looking to the, 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 the time of this specific word, where Jesus said, this generation will not pass away. In other words, you that I'm talking to right now, you're going to see this. Okay? This is consistent with Paul's writings as well. Uh, even in 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul talks about what we call the rapture, he says, you guys don't need to worry about this. You've heard me talk about this, that, that wrath is not supposed to come on you. You're going to be saved from this wrath. Wrath is going to come on the enemies of God. And this goes back to Matthew 23. If you go back one chapter, it goes back to Matthew 23, where Jesus declares the seven woes on Israel. And, and the seven woes on Israel are consistent with the seven seals of Revelation. And the seven woes of Israel, he says, and he, he says, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And so you are going, your, your nation, your whole country, your land is going to be left desolate to you. And instead of being gathered to me like I desired, you're going to be scattered. And it was the destruction foretold in the Old Testament that was foretold through the prophets all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. What would happen if they forsook their God? All of that was going to come upon them, and that was the essence of the seven woes. Matthew 23 precedes Matthew 24. Again, that's the context of this story that Jesus is saying. So Jesus is saying, all of this is going to come to pass on you that are listening to me right here. You're going to see it. And it actually happened. In AD 66, the Roman armies began to invade Israel and Jerusalem. And in AD 68, they began a siege against Jerusalem. And by AD 70, Antitus came into the Holy of Holies and proclaimed himself to be God in the holy place. It was the abomination that caused desolation. He came in and proclaimed himself to be God and Jerusalem, and by AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed and its people were scattered. And from that moment, from then until, until the early part of the 19th century, they were scattered across the earth. And then the Zionist movement began. And what we saw was the beginning of the fulfillment of Hosea 6. In Hosea 6, Hosea writes, For you have torn us, you have wounded us, but you will bandage us. And after two days you will revive us, and on the third day you will raise us up. It was a picture of the third day, the second and the third day, a day with the Lord being a thousand years. And before the second day was over, Israel was bandaged, and Israel was 
begun, a, a beginning took place to draw them back together, and a Zionist movement began in the hearts of believers. Now, believers, uh, historically, we had, Grant, we had Grant Berry come to the church, and he talked about, uh, he talked about reconciling with uh, Jewish people, and he talked about anti-Semitism, and he talked about, and most of us don't have anti-Semitism in us. Most, most of us don't hate Jewish people. But historically, part of why Hitler was able to do what he did is because historically, we have been the enemies of the Jewish people. They, they killed our Christ. They killed Jesus. Historically, Christians have not been lovers of Jews. And so it wasn't all that hard for Hitler to bring the churches together in the extinction or the extermination of Jewish people because woven into the fabric of Christianity throughout the years has been a hatred for the Jewish people because they killed the Christ. So now Grant Berry is actually, this is, this is the prophetic word of this day, is that it started around 1900. God began to drop a word into the heart of the church that it's time to shift. It's time to bring them in. And it's because the second day was almost over and God's, God was beginning to move upon the Jewish people to draw them in. The times of the Gentiles are coming to a place of fulfillment and God is drawing our hearts toward them and their hearts toward us. And Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in Yeshua. This was a prophetic word. Jesus said, you, you of the Hebrew lineage will not see me, recognize me, acknowledge me again until you begin to say it. He was saying, essentially, it's a sign. When the Jewish people begin to say, blessed are those who come in the name of Yeshua, guess what? God's up to something. And guess what they're saying now? They are now saying, blessed is he who comes in Yeshua. Bring them on. We want to be friends with the Christians. We want them in our nation. We want to be joined with them. And, they've, and, and across the world, there have been these federations of Christians and Jews coming together for a like cause under the God of Abraham. So something cool is going on. But my point is that this scripture was fulfilled in its entirety. And what's happened is around the turn of the century, a revelation came forth that no, this scripture wasn't fulfilled after all. This scripture was not fulfilled after all. This scripture has to be fulfilled in our generation. And so this great revelation came forth and we began to preach it in our churches. So in order for this to be fulfilled in its entirety, then we have to have, we have, to have Israel become a nation again. Well, when, when, when this new doctrine started being preached that this scripture wasn't fulfilled after all and it, and it had to be fulfilled, so as Israel had to become a nation, guess what? In 1948, Israel became a nation. So what happened is, those who were espousing and teaching this new theology that had not been taught before, they got all excited. Israel became a nation in 1948. Oh my goodness, it is going to be refulfilled. Now we need a temple. Now we need a holy place. 
we got to have us a temple. So now we're all waiting on a temple. Because there has to be an abomination that causes desolation in the holy place. Right? For this to be fulfilled, we have to have an abomination that causes desolation in the holy place. Okay? And, and so all of this, all of this was worked into this theology of essentially sin has to increase. Things are going to get terrible. The coming of the Son of Man scriptures were not the coming of the Son of Man in judgment. They were hooked together to First Corinthians, I mean First Thessalonians four, the coming of the Son of Man in the rapture to take all of us away from this. So that's what it that's what it was tied to. We're all gonna be now there's gonna be there's going to be a, a great judgment, a great tribulation that comes. This is what was being taught. A great tribulation is gonna come, but the Son of Man is gonna come and he's gonna rescue us out of this great tribulation. Any of you ever heard some of this? You're not being honest. Most of you have heard this. Raise your hands if you've heard this. You've all read the Tim LaHaye books and seen the Tim LaHaye movies. Come on now, you know that. So Israel became a nation in 1948, okay? So this generation shall not pass away. That means that Jesus was going to come by roughly 1988. So then we even made books. We published books for, you know, 48 reasons why Jesus must come by 1988. reasons why Jesus must come by 1988. Do you remember the book? This was a huge influence on the evangelical church. So what happened is we began to pull... Essentially, we were listening to J. Vernon McGee, Baptist, good Baptist theology. We were listening to J. Vernon McGee, and we were listening to all of our eschatology teachers telling us, essentially, do not polish the brass on a sinking ship. This is the Titanic. It's going down. Pull out of society. Don't get involved in politics. Do not go to college. Do not lay up treasures in the earth. Do not save money. The famous saying was, do not polish the brass on a sinking ship. So what happened is, we, we, bailed, out of, we bailed out of culture. Now, if you're wondering, how did we get to this place? How did we get to this place? Okay. I'm giving you the background. The background of how the evangelical Protestant church that once believed that they were on an assignment from God to wash the earth, to love the earth, to reclaim the earth, to restore the earth. They were the evangelical church the church in general. I, I know some of you are upset with the Catholic Church. Some of you hate the Catholic Church. Some of you are mad at the Catholic Church. Some of you are frustrated with the Catholic Church. Some of you are upset and disappointed with the Catholic Church. I, I got news for you. Yes, there were some bad things that happened in the Catholic Church. I know bad things that happened in the Protestant Church. Yes, there were 
there were some popes that did some naughty, nasty, bad things. Yes, we had some stuff where there was abuse in the church. It sounds to me, if you read about the colonies, you read about the colonies, you read some of the laws in the colonies in the early establishing of America, you'd call that religious abuse. If you did some things in the early colonies in America, we would kill you. They operated under the Mosaic Law. They were not operating under new creation love and grace. They were operating under the Mosaic Law. If you weren't a Christian, come out here. We'd like to take care of that right now. Turn or burn, baby. I mean, there's a reason we have little sayings like that, right? Turn and burn was a reality in the colonies, okay? So we can't lay all of the yuck at the feet of the Catholic Church. The Church of England did a lot of poo, and it wasn't Winnie's. Okay? So, and I say that to say this, is that from, from the earliest days, the heart of the church, the heart of God in the church, the heart of the gospel message was to wash and sanctify the earth and the nations, the islands of the sea. Every prophecy from Isaiah to Jeremiah, God put it in the hearts of early believers all the way through that, that, the, that the church would be the washing, sanctifying, that we would be tied, washing the earth twice a day. Come on, somebody. No, that was a joke. That was a... Tied, tied, tied washes the earth twice, twice a day. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. We've always been the hope of the earth, no matter where we went. If we showed up and a culture was full of sexual immorality, if it was full of homosexuality or bestiality or whatever, guess what? It was no challenge for the church. There is no challenge that, that Jesus, there is no challenge that we should get worried about. There isn't a challenge. There is not a new thing under the sun that Satan can introduce in a culture or society that should get us into a place where we're wringing our hands. Now, what happened is, what happened is that the church got into a wringing of the hands position. The church began to believe what I believe to be a wrong perspective on the end times. For us to buy into this New and wrong end times eschatology, we had to have a situation where there was crisis, where there was judgment in the earth, the tribulation. Tribulation was coming. We're going to get rescued out of the tribulation. Things are going to get really bad. The birth pangs of bad are going to get really bad until it culminates in the tribulation. And so we made room for this in our theology. How many of you know that? We made a lot of room for this in our theology. So that affected the way we prayed. Sin's getting worse. Well, glory to God. 
Oh, we all got credit cards. That's what one world money's coming. One world money. Glory to God. It's all going to burn, baby. We're going to hallelujah. But right before it all goes to hell in a handbasket, I'm going up, oh, glory. We sucked, all the, we sucked the turbocharger out of your prayer life right there. This theology will suck the turbochargers out of your prayer life. If you believe that the age we're living in is the age that was spoken of here and that it's going to get worse, 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 worse until a giant tribulation, but right before the tribulation, we're all going to get sucked out of here in a giant vacuum. And if you're flying an airplane, baby, too bad. The airplane's going down and those people are all going to die because you were sucked out in the Jesus vacuum. If we, if we believe some of this in that perspective, then it, it literally pulls the turbocharger out of your prayer life. Because what, what good can you do? What? I mean, you might save a few folks here and there. You might, you know, you might win a, 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 a one here or there. But, I mean, it's already been declared. It's going to get worse, 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 worse. Birth pangs of terrible until this terrible tribulation. And when this terrible tribulation comes, I mean, only a few are going to make it. And that's those who run to the hills or get caught up when the Son of Man appears to gather us. But, but he was appearing here for judgment, and the discussion wasn't the end of the earth. The discussion was the end of the age. And the end of the age he was discussing was the end of the Mosaic period. The Mosaic period was coming to an end. Jesus began to bring the Mosaic period to an end at the cross, and it finalized at the end of the temple sacrificial system. The temple sacrificial system brought, was brought to a close, and there is no more any energy or motivation within the Jewish culture for a temple system. Now, some are trying to build a temple now, and they're trying to, they're trying to open up sacrificial systems now. How are you going to sacrifice several million animals? You know why Jesus came when he did? It was called the fullness of time. Because there weren't going to be enough animals for sacrifice any longer. We needed one perfect sacrifice. I'm going way over time. I did this last week to you. Please don't leave the church yet. Give me two more weeks to ruin you. So let's go to let's fast forward. I'll finish and I'll finish when I'm finished. Let's fast forward quickly to Matthew five thirteen. You are the yeah. Band can come, singers. Songwriters, Davidic musicians, those who don't sit on stools, come forth. Matthew 5. Are you hearing what I'm saying at all? Your, your prayer life, your perspective, up until 1900, Christians believed they were supposed to take over the world. Catholic Christians, 
Protestant Christians, every brand of Christian believed that they were God-ordained to save the lost, to redeem the lost, to bring them out of bondage, to heal them, to restore them, to minister to them, to bring them into blessing, prosperity, and covenant with God. Every brand of Christian believed that until 1900. That's when our new theology started, that whoa, 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 whoa. Matthew 24 wasn't fulfilled. There's going to be a re-fulfillment of Matthew 24. Really? I invite you to return to the perspective that God wants to use you to take over the world. That you're in a partnership with God. He is not going to lose. There is, hope. there is so much hope in his heart right now. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 13. You are, you are the salt. You are the salt. If the salt loses its saltiness, you know how the salt loses its saltiness? The, the salt losing its saltiness is not like, um, you haven't been salty. Why? Because you put your placard down. You put your placard down. You have not been walking around with your placard that says God hates sinners. You have not been walking around with your placard that says turn or burn, baby. You have not been walking around with your placard, new agers are going to hell. Rock worshipers are are a bunch of idiots. You have not been no 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 no. You know that is not salt. You know how you you know how you stay salty? You built an altar and you never stop drawing near to him who is refreshment, who is life. You get to know him. Get to know him. Remember, it's not a religion of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with a living, victorious, glorious one. Do not cast off your hope. Do not, do not be discouraged. Don't look at the don't look at what's happening in culture. Don't look what's happening in society. And let the enemy minister hopelessness to you. Draw near to God and let him keep you salty. Let him keep you full of light. You know what salt has to do first? You know what? If you're salt, you know, it has to get rid of the rottenness in you first. Let's, let's not worry about... I know I could preach for a good hour or two on how you got to be salt, so you got to find the rot, and you got to rub, you, you rub yourself on the rot in society. you got to get over there, and you got to... Because you're, you're salt. If you don't get over there and shake yourself on somebody, little salt shaker, if you don't do that, No, it starts with you and me. We got to stay salty. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to wash the rottenness out of us. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light of His glory in us. If we allow Him to change us, then we will be the change agents wherever necessary. We will be the hope agents. We'll be the love agents. We'll be the life agents. Amen?
everyone, let's stand this morning. I believe, I believe, yes, God's concerned over America right now, over Europe right now, over, over all of these First Nations, but you know what I believe? I believe He's more concerned at this moment about His church, about His bride, that we would run to Him like never before, that we would run to Him who is victory, who is life, who is hope, who is dominion, who is overcoming power, who is cleansing, who is washing, who is healing, that we would run to Him, that we would build an altar. Leviticus 6.12, it's one of our favorite scriptures around here. Never let the fire go out on your altar. Keep the fire on your altar hot and glowing. I was reminded this morning of Matthew 26.40, Jesus Jesus calls the disciples to pray. He's about to go through the heaviest thing in his life. But they couldn't do it. They they couldn't do it. He says, couldn't, he begs them, couldn't you just tarry with me one hour? Couldn't you just be with me one hour? Oh, what would happen if Christians pray? The average Christian prays five minutes a day. The average pastor in America prays eight minutes a day. Where's the turbo on our... Where's our turbocharger? What's happened to us? what's, What's happened to us? It's not the mayors, it's the prayers that make changes in America and in the world. Do you know why China, you know why China is changing? China is changing. Over 40 million Christians today in China. The economics of China is changing. Everything about China is changing. It's, it's not because the leadership changed. It's not because the laws changed. It's because Christians, Christians, Christians in rural communities, Christians, Christians who have believed somehow that God wants them to influence their nation and influence the globe. 40 million and growing by thousands every day. The fastest growing, the fastest growing religion in China. Christianity changing the whole nation, changing the whole nation, changing the whole nation. Don't you want to be a part of that? Guess what? You are. You are. You know why? Because the number one nation in the world will not be America and it won't be China. It will be Christian. He has pulled them out, Revelation 7-9, out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, people, out of every nation. He's made one new nation, and He wants you to be a living part of that. A living part of His new nation. One who's filled with life. One who's filled with love. One who's filled with hope inside of you. That Jesus is Lord. That God is is loving and winning the nations that the Holy Spirit cannot lose. The Holy Spirit cannot lose. He will not lose. He will have the nations. Amen? Would you devote your heart to Him this morning? All across this room. Jesus is asking, could you not tarry an hour? Could you not make prayer a priority in your life? For the future 
for the future of your families, for the future of our nation. Could you not? Could you not? Could you not? Will you accept and receive the hope of God, the turbocharging power of the Lord, the hope of the gospel? See, we're in a brand new age now. That age came to a close, and now we're in a brand new age, and the age we're in now, this age that we're in now is the age of Jesus. It's the age of grace. It's the age of His victory. It's the age of Him winning the nations. It's the age of Him overcoming every demon. Jesus is going to overcome every demon. When Jesus overcomes demons, guess what? All of culture and society changes. He is going to embarrass the enemy. And no matter what we see happening in culture and society, you know what I want you to believe? I want you to believe this. Satan is going to fall in his own trap, and in the pit that he dug, he'll fall into it. And he is right now creating the Full Employment Act for us. There's so many orphaned people. There's so many broken people. In, 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 in just the coming years and days, there's going to be so many broken people that need what you have. They need what you have. They need the hope and the life and the love of God that you have, the perspective that you have. Amen.